We do live in a scary world at a scary time, and there is much to be concerned about. The coronavirus has a lot of people very anxious about their physical well-being. Others are worried about their investments, other financial matters, or perhaps a job layoff. Still others are facing a hard time with their businesses. We are in a passage this morning that exhorts us as God's people not to be afraid. The key verse is Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Fear not. There are 14 different Hebrew words that are translated into the English as the word fear. The Hebrew word that's translated into English in this verse as fear is referring to a fear that arises from our sense of inadequacy, a recognition that we are in over our heads, that the situation is out of control, that we are helpless to do anything about the situation that we are presently in. But it tells us that we are not to fear. Why are we exhorted not to fear? Is it because there's nothing to be afraid of? Is it because such fear would be baseless? The call to fearlessness is not a call to a denial of reality or a blindness to all the dangers that are around us. The troubles that we encounter are real. They're not imagined. There are many legitimate causes for concern. There are a lot of bad things that could and do happen to us. The coronavirus is contracted not just by non-believers, but as Christians as well. Christians are not immune. Some get the disease, some die. And yet we are called to a fearlessness. Sometimes fearlessness is nothing more than stupidity. A failure to see the potential danger that we are in. A failure to recognize our limitations. We think, I've got this under control. I can take care of this situation. We may puff up our chest and be proud. Some people do not have the common sense that it takes to be afraid when they ought to be afraid. The call to fearlessness is not a call to cockiness or arrogance or self-confidence. In fact, it is healthy for us to keep in mind how utterly inadequate we are to meet life's challenges. The Bible does not exhort us to self-confidence or self-reliance. Quite the contrary. It teaches us that we are to place no confidence in ourselves. In this passage, it is noteworthy to consider how the people of God are addressed. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 14, it states, Fear not, you worm, Jacob. Now, I, I want us to, to pause here for a minute and think about that designation. 
you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. The word worm is not a complimentary title for the people of God. A worm is not the most ideal creature to be compared to. Lions are majestic. We refer to them as the king of the jungle. Swans are beautiful. Owls are wise. Foxes are cunning. Doves are peaceful. Gazelles are fast. There is no good connotation for worms. Worms are lowly. Worms are not stately, noble, majestic, or praiseworthy. When I was in high school, we had a school mascot. We were the Panthers. Cedar Crest are the Falcons. Many of the pro teams have animals as their mascots as well. The Bears, the Bulls, the Rams, the Eagles, and we can go on. I have never heard of a team that referred to themselves as the Worms. You will look in vain for any team that has the worm as their mascot. I will guarantee you that you will never be in a stadium packed with 100,000 people who are being led in a cheer. We are the worms, the mighty, mighty worms. No, that's not the imagery of a worm. God refers to us as worms. Isaac Watts, in his great hymn, Alas, and Did My Savior Die, referred to us as worms. Listen to the words. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote a sacred head for such a worm as I? If you were to open our hymnal this morning and look at the words to that great hymn, you would find that the words have been changed, or more specifically, a word has been changed. It now reads as follows. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? The word worm has been changed to sinners. Why? To me, it's quite remarkable that in our day and age, we would rather refer to ourselves as sinners than to refer to ourselves as a worm. We don't like that designation. It is too humbling. It is a designation of that which is completely helpless. You know, as we talked about those animals that were mascots, it's because they are ferocious. It's because they are dangerous. It is because they are to be feared. Worms are not feared. Worms are not dangerous. A child can squish a worm. A worm is defenseless. So why would God refer to us as worms? Well, I believe it is a statement that teaches us 
that we should own our weaknesses, that we should recognize our limitations and our inadequacies. We should understand that there are reasons for and admit our fears and our doubts. For indeed, life is beyond our control. So we should not beat ourselves up about our fears, but rather we are to learn not to look to ourselves, but look to God. The point is we're not to focus upon our inadequacies, but on the Lord's sufficiency. Not on our weaknesses, but on his strength. Not on our lack of control, but on his sovereignty. Fearlessness in this text stems from a recognition that what is beyond our control is not beyond God's control. Secondly, we're called not only to fearlessness, but level-headedness. Sometimes people get at wit's end. They do not know where to turn. They become panic-stricken. They just run around and don't know what to do next. We should always know where to turn. We should always know what to do with our fears. We are to turn to the Lord. Isaiah 41.10 states, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. That word dismayed is a very interesting word, and the New American Standard captures it well when it translates it this way. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be anxiously looking about you. That's the way it translates dismayed. Anxiously looking about you. The point is that we are not to be just turning this way and that and wondering what can we do? What can help us? What is the solution? What is going to keep us safe? What is going to protect us? We are to be focusing upon the Lord. So this morning, the theme is the reason that we are not to be afraid is because God has our back. The reason that we are not to be afraid is because God has our back. The fact that God has our back is expressed in two ways. First, in the statement, I will be with you, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, why? For I am with you. The words, I am with you, are the most comforting words in all of Scripture. God comforted Moses in telling Moses that God would be with him when God was sending Moses into Egypt to deliver God's people. God said in, to Moses in Exodus 3.12, he said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I will be with you. Moses, at the end of his life, exhorted the Israelites to not fear the enemy when entering the promised land, or for Joshua not to fear when he had to lead the people into battle. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, it states this, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. 
Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. Now these words, he will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Jesus' message to his disciples after he had risen and after he had commissioned his disciples uh, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, he says to them, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with us. And secondly, God says, I am your God, in verse 10. If you're not, for I am with you, be not dismayed, for I am your God. God promises to be a God to us, a deliverer, a protector, a sovereign. In Isaiah 41, 13, it says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. So we are not to fear because God has our back. But does God have your back and does God have my back? A key word in Isaiah 41.10 is the word you. Notice how it's repeated in each statement. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. So he's talking about those who have a unique relationship to God. Who is included in this you? Well, if we look at the context, we can unpack who the you are. First of all, God is speaking to Israel, Isaiah 41, 8. But you, Israel. Secondly, God is speaking to his servants, verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant. Thirdly, God is speaking to his chosen ones. Verse 8, but you, Israel, my servant. And now the word Jacob. It refers to Jacob here because we are told in the scriptures that Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. We found out that Jacob is a chosen one of God. So in verse 8, it refers to Jacob, whom I have chosen. God is speaking of his chosen people. In Isaiah 41, 8, it says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my David, Abraham, my friend, it says in verse 9, You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest corner, saying to you, You are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. 
Isaiah 43.10, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. So the chosen people are those that God is called to believe and to know and have a relationship to himself. In the New Testament, Jesus said of the disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, that he will give you. And then, of course, we have just been studying the book of Romans. And we looked at that great passage in Romans 9 that speaks of God's choosing of Jacob and that promise being passed on to all those who place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God is speaking to the redeemed. In Isaiah 43, verse 1, But now says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have purchased you. You are mine. Verse 1 of chapter 43. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. In the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. The good shepherd is the one who redeems us. And in Isaiah, uh, excuse me, in John chapter 10, verse 3, Jesus said, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. God has called us unto salvation. So, yes, all those who have been redeemed, all those who have placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior is included in this great promise of God being with us. Therefore, we want to look at the comfort that's to be found in this verse. We said that We are not to fear because God has our back. God will protect us. God will watch over us. God will keep us. What exactly does God say that he will do? There are three uh, statements of promise in this verse of Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Three promises that God gives us concerning his help for us. The first promise is that God will bind up our wounds and overcome our brokenness. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Now here's the promise. I will strengthen you. I will strengthen you. As I said, it means to overcome our weaknesses, our wounds, our brokenness. The word strengthen here means to bind up or reinforce. A good imagery would be like that of putting a cast on a broken leg. A broken leg can't support us. We can't stand 
on a broken leg. We cannot perform in the way that we need to, but cast that broken leg, and all of a sudden, even though that leg is still broken, it is supported and can hold the person's weight. And the person can walk, even on that leg, as it is mending, as it is healing, because of the support of that cast. God is saying to us that he will support us. He will reinforce us, even in our brokenness, even in our weakness, even in those things that we are unable to do in and of ourselves. God will cause us to be able to stand. Secondly, the imagery is that God will help us by fighting for us in times of trouble. This is found in the middle words of the verse that says, I will help you. I will help you. This word for help is actually a military term. Such as when the cavalry comes to the rescue. You probably have watched the old uh, westerns, the old black and whites at some point, and uh, you know that uh, there is a wagon train, and that wagon train is being attacked, and they turn the wagons into a circle, and they're all hiding behind the wagons, and they're trying to hold off the enemy. And then all of a sudden you hear the sound of a bugle and the cavalry is coming and they're going to ride in and they are going to deliver, deliver this wagon train. Well, that's the imagery. God is going to enter into this fight. God is going to enter into the struggle and he's going to give us the victory. He's going to come to our defense. Oftentimes when we think of a military's help, we think of it strictly in terms of military battles, of a literal enemy and uh, ammunition and gunfire and bombs and explosions and uh, a military victory. But one of the things that we are learning even in this situation that we're in about our own army is that it comes to the defense of the nation even when the enemy is not a physical enemy, even when it is not another warring nation that is coming against us. The army has been deployed in helping to fight the coronavirus. The Army Corps of Engineers has been utilized to build hospitals in a variety of cities putting them up in virtually no time. They have equipped these hospitals with beds, with surgeons, with nurses. A military vessel has been sent to New York Harbor as a hospital ship where there are operating rooms where people can be taken on board and which they can be ministered to. Our military comes to our aid not just against foes that are 
military in nature, but in terms of catastrophes, floods, droughts, and yes, the coronavirus. So too, God comes to our aid in a variety of situations. I'd like you to look at the broader context and notice how God comes to the aid of his people. First, the need is described, Isaiah 41, 17. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst. The poor and the needy, they need water, but there is none. And they're thirsty, and their tongue is parched. The verse says that God will come to the aid of his people. Notice again Isaiah 41, 17. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, now these words, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. He will meet their need. And not only will he meet their need, but he will abundantly meet their need. Verse 18, I will open rivers on bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the land springs of water. When my people are thirsty, when there is no water, I will open rivers on the bare heights, fountains in the midst of valleys, a pool of water in a wilderness, and springs of water in a dry land. God will make something out of nothing. God will help us. And then thirdly, God will help us by causing us to stand when our feet are about to go out from under us. The scripture often refers to us as being in slippery places. Situations in which we find ourselves that we could easily, easily fall. The promise is in Isaiah 41.10, I will uphold you. I will hold you up. In Habakkuk, it describes a series of negative situations in which the people of God could easily fall. But then it says in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. That's a, a beautiful imagery. He says he makes our feet like the deer's. It's referring actually to, to mountain goats. And mountain goats can stand on slippery places. They can go where other animals cannot. God says, when you are in slippery places, I will make you like the deers or the hinds or the mountain goats' hind feet. In our passage, the imagery is, I will hold you up. I will hold you up. As 
most of you that are listening this morning know that I walk with a cane. It uh, helps me keep my balance and make me more sure-footed. I've had an operation on my ankle and foot, and my ankle and foot are fused together with pins and screws and all kinds of metal. And so I have no flexibility at all in my left ankle or my left foot. I do not have the normal range of movement than most people have. In addition to that, it's a bit cocked. Uh, it's, it's no longer flat. Uh, it's out of shape, if you will. And as a result, it's very hard for me to keep my balance without some kind of support, without some kind of help, especially if I'm on uneven ground, such as walking in grassy areas. I need my cane. But you know, oftentimes people refer to Christianity as a crutch and that belief in God is a crutch. And they mean that in a negative sense, as though people are not strong enough to stand on their own. But it's important for us to know that we can't stand on our own. And it's important for us to understand that Christianity is far more than a crutch. For when people say that, they mean it's putting reliance in something that is untrustworthy. It's believing in a God that doesn't exist. It's a way of people coping through wishful thinking. But there is no real help and there is no real solace. There is no real comfort. There really is no provision, for there is no God. But there is a God. We have a God. He is a personal God. And he's not a crutch. He's a real being. And we can rely upon him. I mentioned that I use a cane. A cane helps me on grassy surfaces. But you know, there's something important to realize about a cane. And that is, it is absolutely of no value on slippery places. If I'm on ice, it matters not whether I have a cane in my hand or not. For that cane is going to slip out from under me just as fast as my own feet. That cane cannot grasp the ice. That cane will not protect me at all. When I'm on ice, I need a person standing beside me. I need an arm to hold on to. I need an individual that can cause me to stand so my feet don't go out from under me. At those times, I need my wife. At those times, I need my friends. I can tell you many stories of 
walking out of the church on a wintry night and different people offering me their arm so I could hold on to them as I make my way to my car. God says, I will hold your hand. I will hold you up. I will keep you from falling. He is trustworthy. We can rely upon him. We have God's promise that he will have our back. If you look at Isaiah 41, verse 10, we have God's word on it. For God says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. And now these promises, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And notice it doesn't say my powerful right hand, as we might expect. But rather, it refers to his righteous right hand. That is, that God will not lie. That God will not say something to us that is not true. In righteousness, in verity, in truth, he will hold us up by his right hand. We have God's sure word on it. In the Hebrew, there are a series of particles that are not translated into English in the ESV. And quite frankly, I don't know why they didn't, but they didn't. Well, I'd like you to listen to the translation of the King James and the New American Standard. For both of them capture the meaning of this verse. First, the King James. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And even more clearly, the New American Standard reads, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look around you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with right hand of my righteousness. That's the most accurate translation. Surely. Surely. I will do this. I promise you that you don't need to fear because I will be with you. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will keep you from falling. There is an answer to our fear. It's not self-confidence. It's not self-reliance. It's reliance upon God. There is much to cause us to fear. We need to own it. We need to recognize it. But in the midst of that fear, we must turn to God. Trust in him. Believe in him. Let us rejoice in our ability to trust 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, who promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let us pray. Almighty God, I pray that you would help us this day, that you would give us a renewed faith and confidence in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would calm our anxious hearts. For there are so many things that we allow to enter in to cause unrest, uncertainty, and doubt. Lord, strengthen our hearts. Cause our minds to be renewed. Cause our emotions to be quieted. I thank you for this season that we are in. For you have taught us that we are to be still and know that you are God. I pray in this time of being at home, as there are so many distractions that have been removed from us, entertainments that we cannot enter into, obligations that we cannot meet, places that we cannot go. The Lord, you have created a stillness. And I pray that in that stillness, we would come to know that you are God. And that we'd realize that when things are beyond our control, they're not beyond yours. And that you have not called us to self-reliance. You've called us to dependency. You recognize our weaknesses. You are the one who tells us that we are but worms. You understand how dreadfully we need you. And we thank you, Lord, that you have promised to be with us. You have promised to help us. So renew us in our courage. Renew us in our joy. Renew us in our celebration. Renew us in our peace. And may we give you all the honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.